This is Reimagining Higher Education, your go-to podcast with remarkable education leaders sharing personal stories from their experience in and around the sector, including reflection and hope for progress in the sector. With your host, Professor Judith Sachs, former PVC Learning and Teaching at the University of Sydney, Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Provost at Macquarie University, and Special Advisor in Higher Education at KPMG, and now Chief Academic Officer at Studiosity. Welcome. I wish to acknowledge that I am talking to you on Gadigal land of the Aora people, and I wish to acknowledge members past and present and emerging, and recognise the contribution they've made to cultural life, spiritual life, and general life in Australia over many millennia. So, and now let me introduce Professor Patricia Davidson, who uh, arrived at University of Wollongong as Vice Chancellor in, um, was it April 2021? Yes, yes. What what a time to arrive. And and prior to that, you'd spent seven years at, uh, at, um, in, in the US at Johns Hopkins as Dean of Nursing, which I'm sure you've got lots of stories to tell about that. And prior to that, you were a professor at UTS and a director of Curtin. And you have come home to Wollongong because you are a, um, uh, a graduate of Wollongong. Um, yes, absolutely. So, and I do remember when that was announced, people were delighted that you, you were coming home. So if I could start before I ask you to show me your object, what was it like returning to Wollongong? Well, look, um, firstly you know, a huge relief to return to Wollongong, not normal times. Um, I had, you know, the last 2020 in the US to 21 uh, was a very challenging time in the pandemic, particularly in my role at Hopkins. Um, And to come back and have 10 days of, you know, quarantine being in a in a tiny room with my husband and 10 suitcases and then starting and really having initially thinking, oh, it's, you know, this is going to be different. And then COVID, you know, the reality of COVID um, hit. But, you know, easy as everything, easier the second time. And, um, but, you know, it's wonderful to be back in Australia. I still do miss uh, so many um parts of the US um, and my colleagues and friends, but um, it's, it's wonderful to be back in Australia. And the, the, the university where you uh, were awarded two degrees, um, was certainly thrilled to have you back. So oh, it's so wonderful to be here. So look, I asked everybody um, to bring an object that helps us understand you as an educator and your life as an educator and a leader. So did you bring an object with you this morning? I, look, I did. And it's my phone. Um, and I could tell you a little bit, you know, why that. I think um, uh, it speaks to connecti- connectivity and information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's made such a big difference to me as an educator is the, the internet, social media, connection, uh, you know, I'm for an old girl, I'm very pro-technology. Um, and you know, I just think this connectivity, connection, access is just so important for education. And I mean, when you lose it or when you misplace it. <laughs> when you misplace it, oh, that's 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 the whole thing. That that's the challenge. But it doesn't go very far from my side, Judith. So it's it's um yeah, 
Yeah. So you've got three relationships in your life. Your husband, your children, husband and your phone. phone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is a bit of a, you know, it's it's really interesting. So, you know, people talk about choosing resorts and holiday destinations. And my husband knows no Wi-Fi. I will not be a happy camper. So maybe that's maybe there's a medication for that. Um, but I, you know, just find just the access to information, the dialogue and exchange just to be so part, much part of my life. So given that we started with your, your, your being a student at, um, at Wollongong, what, what was undergraduate student life like for you? Because oh. I imagine as you started as a nurse, you actually had a different sort of education experience. Well, look, I was one of those weird people that I was doing my nursing while I was doing my BA. So I've never been a full-time student. Um, so I was always part-time. Um, my youth, you know, I started at ANU um, when I first left school, but I dropped out, you know, for a whole range of reasons. And I came and started nursing at Wollongong, but I just also felt that I wanted to do something a little bit more. Um, and, you know, at that stage, uh, nursing was a very sort of biomedically focused profession. So um, it was great to be able to do the social sciences mm -hmm. at Wollongong, which I think, you know, really sort of set my career and as a clinician and researcher and educator up. So I've, I've never been a full-time student, so I can't really comment on um you know, life in the uni bar and uh, things like that, because, you know, my life was very different, um, as it is for probably for many students, for many students. Yeah. So just tell me a bit what that life was like, because I also did two degrees at the one time, one at the University of Queensland and one at Teachers College. So, yes. Yeah. So what was it like? Look, I think, you know, two very different cultures, you know, and because I remember vividly, even when I went to Wollongong Hospital, because in those days, nursing was um, in the hospitals. So I'd come from ANU, can you imagine the late 70s, you know, Vietnam War, lots of activity on campus. And my first assignment, I put my name on and I got my Christian name crossed out with SN, which stood for student nurse. So very different cultures. Um, can I tell you, the teachers at Wollongong at that time uh, were amazing. Uh, sometimes I say, actually, I've got a welcome to Wollongong event with students tonight. If, if they could go back to think that you would have your tutes sitting on beanbags in your faculty offices and having wine and cheese. And um, look, it was a great time um, to be a student. And I learned a lot, um, learned a lot about myself as well as the subject matter. And I really encountered at Wollongong at that time a lot of kindness amongst teachers and understanding of, of life. Um, and I think that was part of probably the genesis of Wollongong University, you know, university born of steel. So, you know, work was not a, a you know, a foreign concept. Um, you know, uh, not like me in many other universities where students go straight from school. And also, uh, you know, I often look back and I think at the time probably there were a lot of um, disaffected people from Sydney who'd come to teach at Wollongong. So we had some pretty amazing teachers. So it was a great place to be a student. And the sort of 
learning experiences that you had apart from the beanbags and the um <laughs> and the well wine? really it was look you know as you know the life of a part-time student which is probably my student experience is probably the normal for most students now mm -hmm. um you know which is one of the differences say coming from from the u.s um even though university education is very expensive, many students get living expenses bundled into their student loan. So, so you know, we talk a lot about HECS and all the other fee-enabling strategies, but they don't pay people to live. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it's very different. Look, it's juggling multiple priorities. It's, um, uh, and probably just sort of having less time for you um to be honest but you know I think there are multiple pathways um one of the great things that I you know opportunities I had in the U.S. was went to this big sort of doctoral conference um and you know in the many of the Ivy League schools you know your destined destiny and so I had great pleasure of getting up and saying well, look I'm Trish Davidson I'm a diploma nurse I studied part-time, did my PhD part-time. I didn't do a postdoc and I'm the Dean of Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. So I think, you know, part of it is for students, um, as you probably know, there are a lot of expectations, uh, a lot of scripted narratives for people's career journeys, but really you can do, do it all mm -hmm. um, in different ways. Yeah, look, um, one of the, my, my spies tell me that you um, walk around campus, you talk to students, uh, you remember staff, the names of staff, and that's, that's something that they really value. So when you're walking around talking to students, what sort of stories are you hearing from them? Look, firstly, you know, after they get over the fact, oh, there's this crazy old lady talking to me, um, you know, I think they're um, enjoying, for the current students, enjoying being back on campus. I think this particularly, I noticed for our current early people early in their student career, um, there's a lot of challenges and a lot of kind of gaps that people are, uh, have experienced during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they're all often just great to be here. And, you know, I have such a great, um, I, I just love being with students and stuff. And, you know, I'm just sort of a bit over this narrative of chat, GBT and whatever. It kind of assumes that everybody is up to some nefarious act. And as I said to my team yesterday, look, 97% of our students, which is probably probably 98, 99%, you are going to behave ethically. And there's always going to be a percentage, and they have been there since, you know, Adam and Eve. Um, but, you know, I really hope that we move to a more student-centred dialogue. That, that would be one of the things that I like. So I think that's why we're here. Um, they give me... Um, energy and enthusiasm and it's you know they motivate and inspire me that we are 
we, the world is going to be a good in a good place. So what would that student-centred dialogue look like? And, you know, a much more... Look, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I, I think that it, it is about learning rather than teaching. It's about students rather than um, necessarily getting jobs. So what, what would it look like for you? Well, firstly, I think we've got to dismantle the hierarchy of education. Um, uh, and I, I've kind of seen... Uh, a similar journey in healthcare where it was very hierarchical and it's moved to more being patient and person-centered. Um, Judith, I, you know, I did my MED in the, you know, 80s and we talked about student-centered learning, but it had, it's never been student-centered because it's all been about, um, you know, narrow options, timetables, not full disclosure, and a kind of an us and them. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we've done at University of Wollongong, and, you know, um, and kudos to my colleagues, because this was in train before I got here, is that we've actually signed a kind of a declaration of students as partners. And we really try and engage the student body meaningfully, um, you know, it's a work in progress, but we have a student advisory council and it meets once a month and all the executive go, and it can be a very frank conversation. That group have been so incredibly helpful in understanding the student experience, particularly during COVID. Um, so that's great. And, and I just think, you know, they're adults. Treating them adults is a, is a kind of a good start. But... Um, I still am dismayed at the us and them that I sometimes hear. You know, like this whole, uh, you know, chat GBT. It's just the assumption is students are going to cheat. Well, can I tell you, I think um, if we, and one of the things that I would like us to talk to more about is the ethical aspects and probably in, in modern big class Australian undergraduate courses we don't have that unscripted time for dialogue um, mm -hmm. so you know that was one of the things being at Hopkins in a very boutique niche environment if there were there was an issue you know, I kind of do the mother matron chat where I'd say to them look the most precious thing you have is your integrity um, you know your great no one's going to know your grade point average but if you misbehave or people's find you untrustworthy, that will be with you forever. So I think we have to have more of that dialogue. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, you know, where do we, um, how do we take pressure off students? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important. You know, I did a lot of work when I was at Hopkins of really understanding when students do cheat and it's generally when they're under extraordinary pressure for other things. Mm. Mm. And there's a whole literature on that. Um, and so, um, and particularly in nursing, I would try and transfer that to saying, look, when you are sleep deprived, when you're anxious, you are, you're not gonna make good decisions. And so I would like to change that narrative about from beyond technology is bad to 
how do we use technology and also how do we fundamentally respect students don't go into I mean those invigilated exams just do my head in mm -hmm. I mean if 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 I could but you know it's been um with all of this um discussion of AI you know people returning to pen and paper exams so I actually had a conversation with my team last week I said okay so who's going to grade all of these exams I mean just let's just think about it and also I think students will be disadvantaged I wouldn't like to write more than one or two pages mm. um, freehand anymore I just you know just not geared up to that mm -hmm. so I think just more respectful dialogue is, is important and I've sort of found our students here and just my interactions with students really value that. Mm -hmm. Look, you mentioned and you brought up the, the different experience that um, American students have um, and part of it is the uh, on-campus living, that residential living, so there's, you know, the campus is stickier. What, what other differences do you see between uh, East Coast uh, students and, say, East Coast Australian students as represented by Wollongong? Well, look, firstly, um, all of the health schools at Hopkins are graduate schools. So no, there was no residence. So right. I, um, but you know, it's really interesting. I've got very mixed views about the um, on-campus living. To me, um, this is my personal view, mm -hmm. uh, is that, Sometimes you create a substrate for young people where bad things are going to happen because they don't have the experience to deal with the complexity of alcohol, sex, all of those things. So, um, And I also wonder how long it defers the growing up to be. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so in terms of the students, <clears throat> pardon me, you know, I see them as being very similar. You know, Hopkins is not a, even though it's, you know, a very high ranking university, um, if you've ever been to Baltimore, you know, it's, it's in a very, um, you know, socioeconomically challenging community. So you can't get above, get above your station in uh, <laughs> Hopkins. So, but what is the amazing thing there is that people would come from all around the world, um, not for the basketball courts, because we, or the football, they came to do the work. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I see uh, the students as being, you know, very similar. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is universal that I spend a lot of time thinking about and worrying about is mental health of our students. Mm -hmm. I see <clears throat> that concerns me, um, you know, that young people are under so much pressure and duress and feelings that that's a worry mm -hmm. um so I kind of feel like at university if you can make things easier if you can create more sense of control for students it's got to be better for everybody and help them to be successful that, that sense of support success and belonging yeah um, yeah and that's one of the I've not always made myself popular, but that's one of the great things about being in leadership is you can overturn decisions, you can overturn dismissals, 
<laughs> um, because, you know, often in organisations, people have these very tight policy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if someone's been struggling, um, it's always great to be able to give them another chance. And I have some really great examples of people who, you know, in my mind of where, where that was the right thing to do. Um, and it could be from cheating. Like, you know, you, we've got to be able to come back from everybody makes mistakes. No one is perfect. And, you know, this is a very formative time in people's lives. So what, I mean, you know, that doesn't mean that people, you know, certainly there's serious acts where people are dismissed. But there's, you know, there's a big continuum <laughs> from us plagiarising to, you know, sexual assault you know mm -hmm. they're, they're very so I think um you know I think being compassionate and understanding and and just trying to understand people's experiences I think is is real so I'm hearing that um integrity is at the core of your what, what drives you as an educator what else drives you as an educator that that you've brought from your own experience and you're bringing to a leadership position at uh, Wollongong so, you know, I'm a great believer of excellence without elitism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think always try, striving to, to do better um, is what I do for myself. And I'm sure that I drive people crazy that I work with because I'm, you know, I like change. I'm always developing and evolving maybe not always for the better, but I like moving forward. I like change. And I like always thinking that we could do better, think better, innovate. Mm -hmm. um, so I've seen that throughout my career. And, you know, one of the best things, actually this student, this, this, it's quite ironic. This person now, when I think about it, has now come to work here at Wollongong. But I like the fact that students can be, um, you know, comfortable, because they're like, this must be 20 years ago, maybe mm -hmm. more. He went phone. He said, um, I was meeting him at, a, you know, he's a PhD student, and I said uh, something about, he said, oh, I'll SMS you. Um, and, like, I didn't know what an SMS. He said, I, he didn't say, look, no, next time I'll, call you he wasn't deferential like next time I'll call you he said I'll show you how to do it and so I think the best lessons in life I've learned from patients as being a nurse and also from students mm -hmm. you know they teach you and help you to be a better person they also do teach you not to take things for granted don't they well, you, you can't assume certain things about their background anymore and that's one of the things that I love is, particularly at university, is the cultural diversity and, and the, you know, the, that we have in the world. And that's what you get in universities, which is wonderful. And a, a community like um, Wollongong is sort of complex, but also um, aspirational. Very aspirational. Um, I feel really comfortable here. Um, because 
it's it's kind of pretty egalitarian. It's a bit like Johns Hopkins. You know, you can't get above your station to you. Someone will pull you down. Um, but it, you know, um, and yet there is just some amazing work happening here. Um, and people are much more understated. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so no, there's some great, great work happening here. So if you could change something for students now in your, in your role as vice chancellor, she who has the purse strings and she who has the influence and uh, positional authority, what would you do? I would like to create more flexibility for them to negotiate. Um, I would like to change the culture so it was not so punitive, us and them. You know, um, I have never deducted a mark in my life for anything being late because I think um, that's my style. You know, um, I just think we have all of these perverse rules. And I know we need some boundaries, but imagine if you had the, and again, it's harder in these big you know, the class sizes are huge. So in the ideal world that you would be able to negotiate a learning contract and be mm -hmm. able to, to do that. I'd like to ban exams. Could I say that? Yes. I'd like to ban exams. But, uh, but how, how do you know that students have learned something? Well, I think there's a whole range of different assessment techniques, um, you know, from uh, and what the one of the best assessment technique, techniques is peer assessment. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, there's different, different ways of learning, um, you know, from, you know, short answers, essays, vid, vibers, whatever. Um, but some people love exams. Like I've just done the company director's course and I think, oh, my gosh, I've got to do another exam. Well, I don't have to. <laughs> but, um, you know, to me, I think that's, yeah, it's, it's a very shallow summative assessment. Mm. And I don't think that um, it ref it actually translates to being able to assess competencies. Mm -hmm. So I think rather knowledge recall, I think it's moving to more competency-based assessments. But because um, we know knowing how to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it. But, you know, I also under understand the pragmatics and the reality of of, of things, but um, I think in principle, we overassess generally, um, you know, and I think that comes back to trust. Mm -hmm. um, as a teacher, if you can create a dynamic where there's reciprocity and trust, um, it's just that they're going to do the right thing not because people are watching you. So, and this is something that, you know, as particularly being um, an educator in nursing, you know, <clears throat> we don't want to, as nurse teachers, um, be creating an environment where people are only going to perform well if they're being watched. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think one of the greatest things that many nurses talk about um, is... You know, if that was your mother, your brother, your sister, your husband, how would you want them to be treated? And I think that speaks more to values and culture. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
So then what, what are the, the other values? So you've talked about integrity, you've talked about fairness and equity. Any, any, any others that are really at the core of Patricia Davidson yeah, as a leader? I don't know. Look, you know, I think striving for excellence, um, you know, so I think being, you know, being aspirational for a better world and a better self and a better life are, are really important. You know, I think honesty, trust, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're things that are all very important to me. And, you know, one of the things that I really love is the team. And, um, and I don't know how you create, how you translate that to values, but I always loved in nursing, um, working in areas which have been my sort of specialties in heart failure and cardiology, where it's all about the team, mm -hmm. um, you know, where there's nurses, physicians, pharmacists, physiotherapists. And I still struggle here in the universities where it's a team. And in fact, I was just having a conversation with one of the people you mentioned before. I said, why doesn't someone just pick up the phone and call you? And they said, um, oh, to pick up the phone and call the Vice-Chancellor is a big deal. So one of the things, you know, I've always found is anybody can call me. And I actually learned this as a clinician. People respect that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was on, um, I was remember firstly when I, I sort of established a lot of the home-based heart failure programs and the cardiologists would say, don't give me your number, they call you all your time. And I actually looked at the data and, you know, over a, you know, a kind of probably five-year period, there was a handful of calls that were not appropriate. Most people respect. And it's the same, I learned this in the US from an um, intensivist who put his mobile number on everybody's bedboard, you know, the name. Mm -hmm. He said, if, the, if you're worried, call me. Mm -hmm. And so I would really like to sort of break down a lot of the authority in universities so that we were more collaborative and collegial with each other and also um, with our students. But that means being prepared to have challenging conversations. That's the other thing is, um, and actually there's, a, there's actually a, a scholarship in nursing called the Tyrian, Tyranny of Niceness. Um, so, you know, people are in meetings, smile, yes, and then they go out, out the door and, you know, um, say, what, what was she thinking? And she, you know, so sometimes I know I can say, um, you know, not direct, but, you know, I think we need to be able to have those crucial conversations. Mm -hmm. So last question. Well, in fact, it's true. What advice would you give to the young Patricia in terms of re-navigating her life? And then what advice would you give to a young student who had aspirations in the academy? Look, I think there's two things. It's one is keep your eye on the prize. Um, the other thing is that I'm realistic about what it takes. And I learned this from one of my mentors, Kathy Draker. 
and who was a sort of a, on my committee for my PhD, and she was the Dean of Nursing at USCSF. And I always remember when I finished she, and I got my first academic job, she said, Trish, you are so lucky. She said, this is the best job in the world. You uh, get to you know, teach amazing young people. You travel the world. You have a phenomenal colleagues and you can work any 80 hours of the week you choose. <laughs> so I say that because, you know, you don't get to where, you know, I'm at doing a 35-hour week. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the myth. You know, we try and tell people, um, say no, you know, I sit through all of these things, you know, many of these workshops with junior faculty, and I think that's not what I would be saying to them. You know, um, you know, saying no can close doors. Um, negotiation is good. Look, I'm not sure if I could do it, but let me see how I can help you find someone to do it. Um, that's what I, I would say. So you've got to work really hard. And I think if you are a woman, you've got to work probably even harder. Mm -hmm. um, and having said that, you know, and what I often say to young in particular, I mean, I, more often I get, at, say at Hopkins, we did a women in leadership. I say what would advice would be, um, you know, be kinder and gentler to your younger self. Um, and it, you can have everything, but not necessarily at the one time. So now as I get to the end of my career, I haven't had a linear trajectory. Um, I've had fits and starts, but I've had the joy of being a mother. Um, and now I have the even greater joy of being a grandmother. Um, but you just, I look at some of my other colleagues and, you know, to be honest, I would get frustrated earlier on because I didn't have the same ability, but you get there. Mm -hmm. um, but the other really big thing that I think we need to change in the academy is just making sure that people feel comfortable in the roles they're in and not begrudge other people. You know, I always think in my previous role as the dean at Hopkins, and there was only two people in the whole school without a PhD, and they taught the clinical classes, but they were the best faculty members. They loved the students. They loved the work, they loved their colleagues, but they didn't begrudge anybody else anything. They were happy in their own self, their own skin, and took pride in their work. Whereas there are other people that were frustrated and competitive. So I think finding a place where you feel um, supported, valued, and enabled in universities is really important. I think we need to value teaching more. Mm -hmm. um, Everybody, you know, at Hopkins, everybody taught, including the president. I try and teach the odd class here and I've got doctoral students because we've got a role model work because, you know, even in my previous role, people would I'd interview a new faculty and they say, do I have to teach? And I'd say, well, when I walked in the door this morning, it did say School of Nursing on the front, the door. So I think, yes, teaching is part of it. Um, so I think getting to a place, I'm really excited as teaching and learning um, kind of becomes more 
embedded in the infrastructure of universities. I think that's really exciting. And it's not an either or, or um, but I think if you value teaching and you value students, um, you're going to be a good teacher. I think you're right. And what a great place for us to end. Trish, thanks, thanks for giving me uh, half an oh, hour. Anytime. In fact, it's 40 minutes of your day uh, today. Oh, well, it's and been a pleasure to speak with you. Visit studiosity.com slash students first for the next Students First Symposium, an open forum for faculty, staff and academics to candidly discuss and progress the issues that matter most in higher education.